Welcome, especially if you're new, if you're visiting with us tonight. Glad to have you. My name is Brian, and um, I'll be teaching the Bible tonight. And that was my brother Michael who was singing and worshiping. And we, uh, we have a desire to serve and honor God, and he's called us to do so here at the beach, Church on the Beach. And uh, I laughed because one of the little girls that came earlier wanted to come to church tonight. And when she showed up, she says, this isn't church. <laughs> this is the pe- this is the beach. Well, actually, it is the beach and it is church also. Wow. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, the Lord says, there I am in the midst of you. And we believe that the Lord is here tonight. I mean, God is everywhere, but he promises a special presence as we gather together in his name. And I think for the majority of us, the ones that I've gotten to know over the last five or six weeks that we've been meeting, I know that we're meeting here in his name. This is why we're here, because of Jesus and what he's done for us. And so we're going um, to take a few minutes and just hear from him. And we believe that the Bible is the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, literally breathed out by God. So when we study and read the Bible, we believe we're studying and hearing from God himself. God wants to speak to us. And so we're going to do our best to read and to apply the things that are, are written as God would speak to us by his Holy Spirit through his word. You guys good with that? All good? And then there'll be a beautiful sunset. You can swim in the ocean and the kids are going to be playing and all the rest. But let's, uh, let's study for a few minutes. And we're in the book of Colossians. If you have a Bible or Bible app, just turn it to Colossians. And uh, we believe in uh, the expositional teaching of the Bible. That means reading and teaching it just as it is, not having to add anything to it or take anything away from it. And so we're doing, uh, we're studying really verse by verse through the book of Colossians. And we started that like uh, three weeks ago. And we've, we've done pretty good. We've made it all the way to verse 15. So we're in verse 15 tonight. In verse 15, we continue on what is talking about that, what was the purpose of this writing? What was the purpose of Paul writing to this church? Well, the number one purpose was so that this church would know about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done. Another reason was he was writing these things to this church at Colossae because there had been some error that came into the church. So he wanted to clear up any error. And today this is you know, really appropriate because more people need to learn about Jesus Christ and also more people need to be warned about error that's crept into the church. And we do that as we study through, we learn what the truth is in Christ. And we talked about the gospel, the truth of the gospel in week one. We talked about prayer last week and the importance of prayer. And so he finishes up in verse 14 talking about the prayers that he's praying for them. And last week we talked about the content of the prayers that we could pray for one another. And before he even finishes his talk about what he's praying for them, he starts to talk about Jesus. Because remember, everything in the scripture, everything in this letter, all points to Jesus. And it says that he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. This is verse 15. And he's the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him 
and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. I'll stop there for a second. I want to get to verse 23 tonight, Lord willing. We'll see what happens. <laughs> but we'll stop there for a minute. Because this is kind of one of the most powerful parts of the whole letter of Colossians. Because remember, the purposes for writing were to point them to Jesus and also to clear up some errors. And he's doing both of those things right here. He's talking about who Jesus is. Now, here's a real question that we can ask people today. Because a lot of people will say, yes, I'm a Christian. You can even go to some of the cults who say, are you Christian? They say, yes, I'm a Christian. But the real thing that differentiates a true Christian and a false Christian is what do they believe about Jesus Christ? What do you say about Jesus? And Jesus himself in the Gospels put it better than anybody could. When he was talking to Peter and the disciples, he says, who do, who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, well, some of them say that you're Elijah, and some of them say you're a prophet, and some of them say you're a good teacher, some of them say you're a great guy, some of them, you know, all the things we hear about Jesus. Who is Jesus? And most people, at least in America, they know they've at least heard about Jesus, so they say, yeah, you know, I, I like him, he's a great guy, he has cool hair, you know, nice beard, whatever. But what, it, what is the real truth about him? What do you really think about him? And then that's what Jesus said, the good question he asked him. He said, who do men say that, that I am? And we could go through a list of a hundred different things. And then he, said, he turns the question around to them personally, individually. And he says, but who do you say that I am? Now there's the real question, isn't it? Listen, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what everybody else thinks about Jesus with them down there, or us here, or even me think about Jesus. What really matters at the end of the day when all is said and done is, what do you think about him? Who do you say that he is? And there's a lot of error throughout church history. There's been a lot of errors about Jesus. And some of the big ones, which is what we're addressing here, and I promise this all has to do with the passage. One of the big ones that has kind of come, into the, come and gone in the church and in teaching about Jesus is a teaching that says Jesus was a good moral teacher or he, he may have even been sent from God or an angel from God, but that they deny that Jesus is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. So it's called the deity of Christ. Deity means that he is God. So we believe as Christians that Jesus is God in the flesh. Now, it's interesting because we get more insight into exactly um, what Jesus came to do in verse 15. It says he is the image of the invisible God. Now, so how, how can, I'm, I'm about to get really deep for a second here. And it's kind of hard to do on the beach. The waves are there, the kids are there, the seagulls are doing their things, and the people are walking around. So it's hard to have a real deep theological discussion on the beach. But here we go anyway. <laughs> Let's give it a shot, all right? So what he's saying here, because we're studying the scripture, what he's saying is he's the image of the invisible God. And he starts right off by saying this about Jesus. Because we know, the Bible teaches that God is spirit. The Bible teaches that no one has seen God at any time. But that Jesus has declared him or shown him to us. So when it says he's the image of the invisible God, here's where we're about to get deep. Are you ready for this? Have you heard of the Trinity? Raise your hand if you've heard of the Trinity. All right, good. Lots of good Christians around here. 
Good, good. You heard of the Trinity. Raise your hand if you 100% completely understand God, the nature of God, the Trinity. No one should raise your hand. That was a trick question. <laughs> Who has known the mind of God? We, we, have, we have only a limited understanding. Some of us are more limited than others. That's a confession. But God has, he has attempted to reveal himself to us because God is so infinitely powerful. He is so big. I mean, think of the universe, the, the, the distance we can see in the universe, the solar systems and everything we can see right now in the universe. God is so much infinitely bigger than all that. The Bible says he holds the universe in the palm of his hand. So in order for us to comprehend the character of God, the person of God, the persons of God, it's, it's really impossible, but God has uh, decided to reveal it to us in a sense in his scripture so we can understand it from a... a a certain standpoint. So what, it, what God has done is he's revealed himself as one God. All the way back in the beginning with Israel. Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. We don't worship many gods, we worship one God. However, within the one God, there are three persons. Father, Son, and ta-da, Holy Spirit. Trinity, three in one. Why do we believe that? It's not because we can fully understand it, because that kind of messes with my mind a little bit, but it's because the Bible teaches it. How so? The Bible teaches there's one God. The Bible teaches that the Father is God. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is God. The Bible teaches that Jesus is God. In fact, right here in our passage, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The disciples had a little bit of trouble with this as well when Jesus was talking to them because they asked Jesus and said, hey, we just want to see God. They were talking to him. I'm actually going to turn there so uh, you can see. John 14, verse 7 to 9. And they were having a good time with Jesus. And then finally Jesus is getting a little confusing. And so um, they're asking him, you know, we want to see God. You would have known, if you would have known me, he said in John 14, 7, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Wait a minute. He said, You've, you know him, you've seen him. And Philip said to him, this is a good question or a good request, Lord, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. You know, let's just see God, all right? That's what he's saying in, in common terminology. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? And the words that I speak to you, and he goes on to talk about this. But what he's doing is he's describing what Paul does in, 1 Corinthians, or in Colossians 1.15, the image of the invisible God. That word image is the same word used for the inscription of a, the, the Caesars back in that day in the Roman Empire. They would stamp their image onto the coins. They would have mints and they would press the image right onto the coin. So when you looked at the coin, you would see um, the image of the Caesar. So remember Jesus took the coin and said, whose image is here? That's the same word, whose image is here? And when you're talking about Jesus, you're basically saying this, all that to say this, when you see Jesus, you see God. The Father, there's one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here's where it gets confusing. Jesus is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. Are you confused yet? Yet they are one God. In fact, at one point, 
in the Gospels when Jesus was being baptized. He claimed to be God in the flesh. He was being baptized and he heard a voice from heaven. Do you remember this? And who was speaking? It was the Father, God. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Remember that? And at the same time, what happened? It wasn't a seagull at the beach. It was the Jordan River and it was a dove. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But there is one God and each claimed to be God. Anyway, we could go into a lot more verses, but that's enough in-depth theology for at least me for, <laughs> for on the beach. You can go and study it uh, later. But the image of the invisible God, what he's saying here is this. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus Christ. If you want to know God, look at Jesus, because Jesus is God, manifest in the flesh, born of a virgin. That's why at Christmas we sing and we say Emmanuel, which means God with us. In 1 Timothy it says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God became a man. And hard for us to understand, hard for us to wrap our minds around, but we're getting to the important things about Jesus. Because if someone comes to you and says, Jesus was a good teacher, but I don't think that he's really God or the Son of God, then that person has an error that the Bible says will lead to death. He who has the Son has life, but he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So it's important that we get to know who the right Jesus is. Will the real Jesus please stand up? Because this is, what, this is who we're, we're trusting for our eternal salvation. At least I am. I don't know all of you guys. I hope you are. So we got to make sure he's the right one. It is important. Don't let anybody today in churches tell you it's not really important what you believe about Jesus. It is important what you believe. Unless you believe, Jesus said, that I am who I say I am, you will die in your sins. I have a funny story about some Jehovah's Witness that came to my house one time, but I'm not going to tell it. I don't want to offend anybody. I want to... Remember Liana? <laughs> this is my daughter Liana and Julia were at the house. I'll tell it anyway. Who cares? <laughs> that Jehovah's Witness... And Jehovah's Witness, nothing... You know, no offense to them. We love people. We love all people. But false... They have error in their doctrine about Jesus. And I know this. I've studied this. So they come, they come to the door. And I, knew, I know who it is. And so they come to the door, and I, I open the door, but, and usually I just shut the door. Like, oh, hello, he goodbye. No, I was nice, though. <laughs> I said, and I was really polite. I'm, a, I'm actually a good guy. You don't know me, but I'm a nice person, I promise. And, I, and they came up, and they said, can we tell you about Jehovah? And we had the watchtower and the magazines and stuff, and I said, I just need to stop you right there. Um, I, I need to let you know that I'm a, I'm a Christian pastor. I've been a pastor for almost 20 years. I study the Bible. I teach the Bible. I, I said I admire the way you guys go around because, to be honest with you, a lot of Christians could learn from these guys. Like, if we had half the energy, anyway, that's another story. So I said I admire that, but I just need to let you guys know that there's one, and I don't really want to argue with you, but there's just one thing that I need to tell you. And, that's a, and I read a verse from Jesus where, he says, unless you believe in who I am, you will die in your sins. It's the verse I just quoted to you. And I said, you believe he's something different than what I believe. <laughs> Remember that, Liana? And uh, I said, you're going to die in your sins. You're going to go to hell because you don't, you don't believe in the right Jesus. 
But I was really nice about it. I was smiling and everything. And, they, and they're like, okay, thank you for saying that. Because they always go with someone who knows what they're doing and a new convert. The new convert was really troubled, which is a good thing. I was actually happy. I'm like, yeah, go think about it. It's really important what you believe about him. It's not just a minor issue. It's the difference between life and death, heaven and hell. And then they left. And the girls were like, Dad, did you just tell the p nice people that they're going to hell? I was like, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So welcome to church on the beach. <laughs> yeah, you'll, be, you'll tell your friends back home. You're like, yeah, we went to church on the beach. Oh, how was it? Yeah, the pastor there, he was like a fire and brimstone kind of guy. I don't know about it. But there was a beautiful sunset. <laughs> and it says uh, that, let's go on in our passage. How many verses do we have to go? That he's the firstborn over all creation. The firstborn, um, it literally means that, that he is the preeminent one. In fact, it says that again in verse 18, that he may have the preeminence. Firstborn is not necessarily the first in time or that he was even born. It's not talking about, it's talking about his position. His position, uh, and that is a position of authority. In fact, it says by him, verse 16, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. So here we go. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. Jesus is the one who created all things that were created. What did I just say? Jesus is the one. That's what I just read. He created all things. It says that in verse 16. Everything, even invisible things, principalities and powers. He created all things that were created. In fact, back in John chapter 1, this is kind of a good, a good passage about who Jesus is too. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. That's talking about Jesus. You guys know these verses? And the Word was with God and the Word was God. There it is again, that confusing concept of one God, three persons, but yet taught in scripture. He was the beginning with God, in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Guys, if anything was created, it was created by Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? It means Jesus Christ was not created. Because if he created everything, then he himself was not created. Do you understand where the scripture is saying right here? That means he's eternal with the Father since the beginning, beginning of time, for all of eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And specifically pointing at who Jesus is because that's what's important when it comes to salvation, that all things were created through him. And not only that, verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things consist. Let me tell you something right now. The Bible teaches that not only did Jesus create everything, he teaches that currently Jesus holds all things together. In fact, the Bible says he holds all things together by the word of his power. If Jesus were to release his hold or his authority on things, we would just evaporate, disintegrate. I don't know. I'm not a physicist. But I know it wouldn't be good, whatever happens, because Jesus is holding everything, everything together. You've heard it said that the very breaths that we breathe are a gift from God. That's literally true. Every second that we are alive, that we breathe, that we enjoy the sunset and the beach and the people and the weather and a good meal and friends and all the things we enjoy, every single 
Second is a gift from God. Jesus is holding everything together. Through him, all things consist. Are you thankful to Jesus tonight? <laughs> that gives us a little bit more uh, thank. It does for me. Like, wow, okay, thank you. And uh, verse 18, he is the head of the body of the church. So Jesus is, is three things here in the passage. If you like to take notes or think in kind of an orderly fashion, I do. Number one, Jesus is the revealer. He is the visible image of the invisible God. We, we talked about that in verse 15. Number two, Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all life. That's in verses 16 and verse 17. Number three, Jesus is the leader. He's the head of the church. And so he goes from the talking about God create or Jesus creating everything to him being the head of the church, the body of Christ. And uh, we're not going to go into in, you know another in-depth theological talk or discussion about what the church is and everything, but Let's just put it this way. All those who believe in the, in the real Jesus, who have put their faith in him, are part of the body of Christ. You could be visiting here from wherever, Maryland or Vermont or wherever you're from, Sarasota, Bradenton, wherever you're visiting from. And you could go to some other churches, your home church. You just heard about this Bible study, and you're like, yeah, Church on the Beach, that sounds amazing. And so you came and you visited, and we're singing worship songs together, and we're studying the Bible together. You know what the amazing thing is? No matter how far we're separated, even further to different countries, we are all part of one body. There was one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, one Spirit. And that's, an, that's the amazing thing, that we can share in a common unity, a community in Christ. And Christ is the head of the church. Who's the leader of the churches? It's Jesus. And that's what it says there in uh, verse 18. And he has, in all things, he may have preeminence. Okay, if Jesus is the head of the church, and in all things he must have preeminence, that means that the purpose of our church, our little church gatherings, should be, you're kind of putting two and two together here, if everything is about Jesus, and Jesus should have the preeminence, and he's the head of the church, therefore, all of our church gatherings, local churches, the number one priority of our churches should be to give glory to Jesus Christ. Jesus should be the center of the church, period. And, and I've been guilty of this, of going, uh, you know, you go into, you're part of churches and, you know, you want to do the latest thing and you want to meet needs and you want to do all this stuff as a church. Great. But there's a danger. I've done it myself. That's how I know in churches that I've been a part of. There's a danger you get so sidetracked on other good things that you forget about the best thing, that's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head of the church, and everything we do is about Jesus Christ. That's the end of it. So if we go and do an outreach, or we feed the poor, or we come on the beach, or whatever we do, we're doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. And for his glory, so that he can be praised. And that's exactly what the Bible teaches. That's When you have a good understanding of who he is, it just is natural for us to want to put him in his rightful place. And believe me, as a pastor, I get scared of, you know, everybody, like everybody's looking at me right now. You guys are all looking at me. Say something. <laughs> Teach us something. You know, it's like, okay. And then if I do a good job, then someone's like, oh, you did a good job. And then the next week, say something, do something. And that's how pastors are. And then you see these pastors that become like the, the big shots. 
And secretly, we all want people to love us. I'm just telling you honestly from the pastor's point of view. <laughs> but there's a real danger there. Why? Because the only person that should have the place of preeminence and priority in the church is Jesus himself. If, if any pastor, me included, if, it, if the focus becomes on us or on the worship team or on the building or, you know, we don't even have a building, so on the umbrella, <laughs> then uh, they're like, man, that's a great umbrella. What do you think about the church? Beautiful umbrella. Beautiful towels and chairs, that church. But if any, I'm getting sidetracked. If anything diverts attention and, and praise from God to anything else, that church is not, a, it's going to go down, downhill. That's just the way it is. I am the Lord your God in my glory I will not give to another, he says. Wow, that's heavy, right? And that's what it says right here about Jesus, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Let's, let's go. We're almost done. It pleased the Father that and in him, this is, this is a heavy verse right here, verse 19. You could think about this one for a couple thousand years and not understand it. It pleased the Father that and in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. Colossians 2.9 over on the next page says, In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It doesn't get more um, deity than that. I don't know the best way to say it. It doesn't get more Jesus is God than that. In him, all the fullness of God dwells in the human body. And so this is the important thing about Jesus. And by him, verse 20, to reconcile all things to himself. So Jesus is a revealer. He's the creator. He's the leader of the church. And then finally tonight, Jesus is the savior. All things are about him, but guess what he chooses to do with his power and, and prestige? It says to reconcile all things to himself in he by him, whether things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. And you who are once alienated and enemies in your mind, that's talking about all of us, by wicked works, yet he is now reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Man, we could study this for probably like a month, to be honest with you. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, you're not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. You want me to summarize this real quick? Because I could really just, that's a lot, that's a lot of stuff, but I'm going to summarize it. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, the image of the invisible God, who has created all things, and through him all things consist, or they hold together, who is the head of the church and the one who has preeminence in everything, has used his position of authority and power in the heavenly places to humble himself and be crucified on the cross, shedding his blood. That's what it just said in uh, verse 20. Verse 20 we read. He has chose to humble himself and shed his blood so that us who are wicked and sinners could be reconciled back to God through faith in Jesus Christ by the gospel. That's exactly what we read. And by the way, in case you didn't know it, that is good news. <laughs> That's what the gospel is. That we who are wicked have been saved by the only one who has ever been good. The one who created everything and everything consists and he uses his power to save you and to save me.
if we will simply, the Bible says, put our, verse 23, faith in Him, in the gospel. Wow, that's good. That's good news. And that, that even makes us love Him more. We, we should love Him anyway for how great and awesome He is and all the things He's done. But even more so that He's reconciled us. Have you ever had an, an argument with someone and you're reconciled? And you're like, I'm sorry I ever said that. And they're like, I'm sorry I ever said that. But God never said anything bad to us. We're the only ones that said it to him. Yet he can't, comes and reconciles himself to us. To brings us into a relationship. And the Bible says we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who created everything, holds everything together, can save us from our sins. And that's the, that's the greatness of the gospel. And that's why we're here tonight. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the scripture. We pray that it would sink into our hearts and minds and we pray that uh, your word would become alive in us and that we would live out the things that we've heard. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.